Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the U.S. presidential election two days before the New Hampshire primary. A large explosion has hit a gas export terminal in the Russian city of Saint Petersburg, and the group of 77 plus China summit in Uganda is looking to bolster South-South cooperation. We begin with North America. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the U.S. presidential election two days before the New Hampshire primary. He is now endorsing former President Donald Trump, who won a landslide victory in the Iowa caucuses. DeSantis finished in a distant second, followed closely by Nikki Haley. Karina Mitchell has more. Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Defiant words when former South Carolina Governor and United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley made this remark after former President Donald Trump's historic win in Iowa. Now, perhaps prophetic in light of the announcement from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis that he is dropping out from the presidential race, telling his supporters in a video posted to X that he no longer sees a clear path to victory. This, as Haley has already focused squarely. On her former boss, 75% of Americans don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. Chaos follows him. However, the most recent polling shows Trump maintains a double-digit lead over Haley in New Hampshire. Even if Haley did somehow, you know, pull off an upset and and place first, or even if she comes a close second, is it too little, too late for her? What is her path to the nomination? Keep winning. It's a tough path. I mean, every poll that's out there shows that Donald Trump has a sizable lead, and and、uh, he certainly has a a core constituency that's going to be with him no matter what. That constituency includes former GOP primary rivals who have dropped out of the race. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy both endorsing Trump, and now DeSantis. It really seems like if Donald Trump wins in New Hampshire,、uh, this ball game is is over.、Uh, he'll. Probably very quickly consolidate the field, and we'll be off to the general election. Here in New Hampshire, independents and those who are undeclared make up about 40 percent of registered voters. In the GOP primary, they're allowed to cast their ballots alongside declared Republicans. The thing that Iowa and New Hampshire have in common is that they don't think anybody else except people in Iowa and New Hampshire count. Political science professor Matthew Hale says Haley stands to benefit the most from the state's well-known independent streak. While Trump has attempted to turn that advantage against her, voters we spoke to are divided. Donald Trump, as much as I love him, is an、uh, incumbent. He, he has four years. He's a deadbeat as soon as he gets elected. I hope he gets elected, but I want Nikki Haley to be elected.、Uh, a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, and I will vote for Biden. As the Republican race heats up, so has the rhetoric. Trump mocking Haley's given first name Namrata on his social media platform, widely seen as an attack on her Indian heritage. While Haley herself raised eyebrows after comments she made saying the U.S. quote has never been a racist country. With DeSantis now out of the running, the pressure is on both Haley and Trump to win over his supporters. That was Karina Mitchell on the Republican presidential race after the withdrawal of Ron DeSantis. 
U.S. media reports say the ongoing severe winter storm has killed more than 90 people as Arctic winds continue to lash most parts of the country. The extreme weather has also put infrastructure to the test. Owen Faircloth has more. With the U.S. in the grip of a brutal cold snap from coast to coast, the country's infrastructure has been severely tested. Was pretty slippery this morning. Slippery. Yeah, pretty slippery this morning, but you know we gotta do what we gotta do to get in there this morning. But not all drivers made it. Multiple blizzards over the last fortnight have left some roads littered with the wrecks of vehicles claimed by the treacherous conditions. Thousands of flights have been cancelled. On Sunday alone, around 2,000 flights, either landing or departing the U.S., were either cancelled or delayed. And rail services around Chicago and Portland, Oregon, were also disrupted. Utility infrastructure has also been pushed to breaking point, especially in the Portland area, where at one point some 120,000 properties were without electricity. But while Texas was among southern states experiencing unusual Arctic temperatures, its electricity grid has largely held up. Several hundred customers were still without power on Sunday, compared to winter storms in 2021, which cut electricity. For more than three million people, forecasters say higher than average temperatures expected over the next week will help much of the country thaw out. That was Owen Faircloth reporting on the deadly winter storm in the U.S. In the Middle East, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected conditions from Hamas to release hostages and end the conflict. The conditions include Israel's complete withdrawal with Hamas in power in Gaza. The Israeli leader has reaffirmed his opposition to the establishment of a Palestinian state. Netanyahu is facing protests at home from families of Israeli hostages in Gaza. Meanwhile, intense fighting continues in the Gaza Strip. Israeli forces and Hamas fighters have clashed in several areas, from Jabalia in the north to Khan Yunis in the south. Associated Press News Director John Gambro has more. Israel's war on Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Has reached a grave new milestone, according to the Hamas-run health ministry. There, more than 25,000 Palestinians have been killed since this war began back in October. Israeli military released this video that they described as a tunnel in Han Yunis, which is in the southern part of the Gaza Strip. They said it had once held hostages. This may be part of the Israeli military's efforts to try to get the、uh, public back behind them, back behind this war effort. But we're seeing families of hostages and others. Publicly protest. Some sitting in front of Prime Minister Netanyahu's home, demanding he have a ceasefire. And all this is coming as Netanyahu has doubled down, or even tripled down, on his stance that there should be no independent Palestinian state. He says that everything west of the Jordan River, which includes the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and East Jerusalem, which the Palestinians want for their capital, that that should all be under Israeli control. That's unacceptable to. Uh, the U.S. President Joe Biden, who's really been Israel's main supporter as this war's gone on, it's also not really accepted by European nations. And we have Israeli Foreign Minister Katz going to Brussels to have meetings with EU officials. Those meetings likely will be icy over this stance. And we have had UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres call it totally unacceptable. He has called for an immediate ceasefire. But as of right now, the war continues to rage. That was John Gambrell with the Associated Press. In Europe, there has been a large explosion at a gas export terminal in the Russian city of Saint Petersburg. While the cause of the blast is unknown, there were reports of drones in the area shortly before the incident. Russian officials said the blast caused a large fire, but no injuries. Dasha Chernyshova has more from Moscow. 
Well, we do have the confirmation from Russia's Novatap gas company that operates the terminal in the Baltic Sea port of Ust-Luga uh, that uh, has caught fire, that there has been no established cause of that fire. The understanding is that the reason is the external influence, as the company has described it. We also understand that there were no casualties uh, among the staff who were working uh, at, the, uh, at the gas terminal. They have been safely evacuated, but the the operations of the gas terminal had been halted. We also have heard from the local authorities that the fire had been localized. We also have heard from the uh, witnesses in the area that they heard some loud noises right before the fire has broken out. It is yet to be confirmed by the Russian authorities, but just two days before we've heard the Russian Ministry of Defense confirm that a Ukrainian drone had been intercepted over the Leningrad region. Just to give you the sense of where this is happening, it is happening 100 kilometers away from St. Petersburg, Russia's second largest city, close to its border with Estonia. So it is very far from the Russian border with Ukraine, deep into the Russian territory. And it is yet another incident on the Russian energy facility. Just two days before we've heard about the fire being extinguished uh, at the Bryansk oil terminal. Uh, this is uh, closer to the Ukrainian border. It is the bordering region. And obviously, we've heard over the course of the past days about more attacks by the Ukrainian armed forces against the territories of the Russian Federation. The Crimean Peninsula has been attacked by the Ukrainian forces. Russian Ministry of Defense says three missiles have been intercepted. Drones have been intercepted over the Tula region, which is in central Russia, in Ural region, and many others. So certainly, there are many questions as to how those drones are making it so deep into the Russian territory. That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting from Moscow. This past weekend has seen demonstrations across Germany against far-right opposition party AFD. The protests follow a report that right-wing members recently met to discuss the deportation of millions of immigrants. Peter Oliver has more from Berlin. Large parts of the German capital have been shut down as thousands of people are expected to come out and say no to Alternative for Deutschland or the AFD. It's a scene that's been repeated across the country this weekend with police and organisers saying around 300,000 people have taken part in demonstrations across most major German towns and cities. The protests were sparked after it emerged that AFD members had met with far-right extremists at a hotel near Potsdam to discuss what they called re-migration, the forced mass deportation of migrants and even minorities with German citizenship should they come to power. The meeting was also attended by some members of the Conservative CDU party, part of the largest opposition group in the parliament. The news that people with such close links to real political power were discussing re-migration has caused a storm of public opposition. My hope is that the silent political centre, in which I will include myself, will wake up and show itself, and that this will have an impact on this whole right-wing crowd that is hanging around. We need to raise awareness among our fellow citizens that something is going wrong. And I do believe that if enough pressure is exerted by, let's say, the street, this will also motivate politicians to act and not remain somewhat silent, as they have been so far, but to clearly distance themselves. They haven't done that enough, in my opinion. It had become more in the past few days, but it should have started much earlier. 
The German government is facing pressure to ban the AFD for its association with far-right extremist groups. But the AFD says they're coming under attack by mainstream parties because of the party's growing popularity in recent months. The party also says the talks were part of larger discussions about Germany's future. Vice-Chancellor and Economy Minister Robert Habeck of the Green Party has warned that any attempt to ban the AFD must be legally watertight, as if it were to fail it would cause massive damage and potentially increase the group's appeal. There are three crucial state elections here in Germany coming up later this year in Brandenburg, Saxony and Thuringia. AFD is expected to put in a good showing in all three, that is, if they are on the ballot. That was Peter Oliver in Berlin. Finally, to Africa. The Group of 77 Plus China Summit in Uganda is looking to bolster South-South cooperation. The theme of the gathering is leaving no one behind. Nick Mundimba reports from Kampala. Earlier in the week, senior officials met to consider the draft outcome document of the Third South Summit. Uganda has assumed the chairmanship of the Group of 77 Plus China from Cuba, which held the mantle for the past one year. United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres advised global South countries to demand their rights and negotiate their clear position from the rich global North countries. Today, you are the largest grouping of the global South, representing 80% of the world's population. And your solidarity and partnership are essential to building a sustainable, peaceful and just world for all. A world in which the United Nations, Charter, international law and human rights prevail in global relations. According to the UN chief, many G77 groups are grappling with economic challenges resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic, crippling debts, a cost of living crisis and a sky-high borrowing costs. Chinese Vice Premier Liu Guzhong emphasized the need for global South countries to be more assertive with the shared common interest borrowed from BRICS, which realized the historic expansion that strengthened the momentum of solidarity and cooperation among emerging markets. President Xi Jinping pointed out that South-South cooperation is a great undertaking by developing countries to seek strength from unity. We have been deepening the South-South cooperation, advising North-South dialogue, and sailing together in international affairs. The G77 and China are important cooperation mechanisms with all the framework of the UN. Countries of the South have also created such platforms as the BRICS and the African Union to send common messages and shared common interests. The unjust and inequitable international political and economic order from the past continue to have lingering effects. We need to renew our efforts to forge a united, equal, balanced and inclusive global development partnership and build a community with a shared future of mankind. The Group of 77 also makes statements at various main committees of the General Assembly other subsidiary bodies, sponsors and negotiates resolutions and decisions at major conferences and other meetings held under the United Nations dealing with international economic cooperation and development as well as the reform of the United Nations. That was Nick Mundimba in Uganda. Recapping today's headlines. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the U.S. presidential election two days before the New Hampshire primary. 
a large explosion has hit a gas export terminal in the Russian city of Saint Petersburg. And the Group of 77 Plus China Summit in Uganda is looking to bolster South-South cooperation. And that's it for this edition of the Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.